Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today is our year-end review. It is Christmas, so Merry Christmas to those that are celebrating Christmas, and I hope everybody is doing well and is safe. And with me, of course, is Mindy Yoon. Mindy, how are we doing? I'm good. Thanks, Jason. And yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for joining us today. So I'm excited. Another another year's gone by. So what type of Christmas person are you? Like whether I'm like a secret Santa person, like a white elephant kind of person. Like what do you mean Christmas? So are you one of those people that would listen to Christmas songs in November? Or do you have strict oh, rules? No. Are you like, oh, it's kind of the, I'm kind of lukewarm about the holiday or it's the best holiday of all time? I'm okay with it. I mean, it's probably kind of boring. I guess I'm not that much of a festive person outside of like maybe like New Year's and like Lunar New Year's and stuff, but I like Christmas. I like the lights mm. and just family time. I live in Colorado where it snows. So I like, hopefully it snows this year. So we have like a little winter wonderland Christmas, but weather's been quite whack lately. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I am Christmas to me is the best holiday. I am really into gift giving, really into decorating. And I just love the whole season. I would start in November, but my wife has a Thanksgiving birthday. And so she puts the kibosh on any Christmas festivities before Black Friday. So, but I would easily start in November and take down the tree, maybe at the end of January type of thing. So I am all in on Christmas. I like all the Mariah Carey memes that come out oh. around November. It's just like, it's near Christmas, guys. So once a year where Mariah Carey comes out of her, her cave and sings the same song she does every year and then just goes into hiding for the rest of the year. So yeah. I like but, all the memes. <laughs> yeah, but there's it was interesting. I was telling my daughter, I was like, 30, 40 years from now, you are probably going to be hearing the same renditions of these Christmas songs. Because some of the like the classic Christmas songs that you hear on the radio now, those were recorded 60s, 70s. And it's the same, it's that same version that everybody comes to know. So it's a classic. So that's just going to be continue, in my opinion, that you're just, Mariah Carey will be another one. It's just, you're going to have that rendition of that song played probably forever. I, I can see that song. I'm just trying to think of like whether or not it's like problematic because was it like last year or the year before where what's that song like ba baby is cold outside where there was a lot of controversy because we were like oh my god that's so like creepy and kind of like rapey vibes or whatever and other people were like well that's just like of the times not not, not like the rapey creepy stuff but it was just <laughs> like women, like women weren't supposed to be so I don't want to say promiscuous. I, I feel like that's like the wrong word and I probably pronounced it wrong anyways, but it was just like, well, he was quote unquote doing her a favor by like trying to tell her to stay because she wants to stay, but she can't because it's not. And then other people are like, no, it's just like super like 
great vibes because like she's trying to leave but he's trying to it was just like this whole debate and I was like okay well this is a weird way to spend the holiday holidays and holiday spirit but I'm I'm open to it listening to the all all the discussion I don't know if you got into it I was no, no yeah. I was really surprised too and I think they have changed it in a way to like there's one version where she giggles at the end type of thing. So it's really supposed to be like this flirty back and forth between this couple. Right. But I, I'll admit that Bill Cosby didn't do the song any favors with that line. Like when she says, so what's in this drink? <laughs> so that didn't, that didn't help oh, matters yeah. much. And so, but it is, it is interesting. Cause I, I know people for a long time, even before the me too movement, thought that that song was semi inappropriate so but anyway all right again an another year through and we published every monday which is something that i am really uh, proud about that we were able to produce an episode every monday and that we just had another year of really interesting guests different perspectives and i thought there was some certain some themes that came out throughout the year. And so what I want to do here is I've created a, a matrix, categorized each episode throughout the year. And I'll, I'll put this in the show notes. And what I'm thinking is if you're looking to catch up or maybe you're new to the podcast and you want to get caught up, but you're not really sure where to start. And there's, I think there's certain categories here that will help you narrow down where to start to fit your interests. Because we had several episodes this year dealing with like human trafficking or GIS or the military influence, testifying, sworn officers, turning analysts, intel. And you can go through and maybe pick and choose which ones that you want to try to catch up on based on the categories that they're put in. But Mindy, is there any episode in particular or anything that sticks out as you look back on, on this year? Not in particular, but I do think it's interesting how it does work out like that, because I think last year, just this was unplanned, but a lot of our guests and a lot of our episodes covered things like mental health. And mm -hmm. then this year, I feel like we also had like, a similar pattern of like a lot of our guests were like you were saying like they were former military former officers that turned analysts there was a lot of talk about trying to think of like career transitioning like I'm trying to think I don't think any of our guests like started out as analysts they're like right out of school they always did something different and then mm -hmm. transferred over so it, I think it's neat that somehow it just works out like that that we do have like a particular theme that we may or may not have planned for so yeah I'm always interested in listening to guests talk about what they did before they were analysts and then if they're no longer analysts what they did after being an analyst and that's two bookends that I really like to cover and another topic too that we covered I think more this year than maybe in previous years is open source, OSINT. There's there's several people that have really done some awesome work. So there, that's another big topic this year that if you're looking to get more information on that, that we have several episodes on OSINT. All right, so news of this year too, we did more 
conference previews and reviews. I think we had done some of the reviews last year, but this year we did a IACA preview. We did a IALEA preview. And I thought those were interesting as getting people prepared for the particular conferences and getting maybe some ideas generated if folks are looking to go to a conference or they're building their own conference, stuff that they could cherry pick from uh, how the agenda is put together and what's what's on it because there's always that mix of education and fun with each one of these conferences and it, it was fun to go through this and talk with the planning folks as they lay out the agenda for the week and what people can expect as they attend the conference are you there <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to just like say stuff just to say stuff, just to, like make noise. But it's like, I understand that it's like, it's a podcast, interact. But I'm like, that's a good point. Good job. It's also why I turn my camera on just so you can like see my reaction. I'm like, I'm here. I'm listening. Oh, I, 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 I have the screen up. So I didn't, I didn't oh, necessarily, I didn't, I, I'm not looking at the, the camera. No, no, you're fine. On. Yeah, no, it just occurred to me like when you're on, like it's probably a different topic, but personally when I'm on a call, like I don't want to like have my camera on because I'm usually like in my PJs or doing something else. <laughs> but then at the same time, when you're talking and you're like the instructor, it's like you're talking into the void and you're like, do people listen? Do they understand? Do they, you know, so I'm kind of di divided on that. Like, should I have my camera on or should I not? Like, especially now that a lot of jobs are hybrid or remote and you're having all these virtual meetings, it's like, should I have my camera on or off? Like, can they see my reaction? Because most of the time I don't have anything to say. Like, obviously I'm, I talk a lot because of like the podcast teaching and stuff like that. But most of the time I don't have anything to say, but like my face is reacting. But yeah, no, I, I don't know if you want to cut this in, but I, I was just nodding along and agreeing with you. Like, yeah, we've done a lot of coverage for these respective events. And hopefully that does help people kind of like get an idea of, what to expect, what to get themselves into. So I think it's good. I've heard some people had some really good feedback of like, oh, thank you so much. Like, it's great that we're getting more information in like a different way, because I understand like these associations, I'm sure they have it in like their newsletter, they have it updated on their website, social media, like all in written form. But sometimes people like to hear it like an audio form. So I think it's a nice thing that we do and hopefully we can keep doing it. Yeah, I think that is is it too. Sometimes it's just easier to listen to a 10-minute uh, audio while you're doing other work than to read and study an actual website. So it's just, again, how do you want to consume your news? But yeah, we'll continue to do that into 2024. And we did get some really good feedback on it. And also new was a question I consistently asked, return on investment question, which is what can analysts study now that will be important five years from now? And so that was something that really stuck out to you too, Mindy, right? Yeah, it was. And I'm probably biased just because, sorry, shameless plug, probably mm -hmm. biased because I was creating my career preparation course for the IACA this year. So I was really tuned in for those like responses, just trying to hear what other analysts are recommending students and aspiring analysts these days. So then I can incorporate it into my <laughs> course to try to prepare students. But one thing that stood out to or there's a few things that stood out to me. There, there was some constants, like people would say things like GIS or 
like you were saying, like open source intelligence. And one thing that I, I thought was interesting was coding, like programming skills. So like knowing R, knowing like SQL, I, yeah, I, Mm -hmm. that's been a thing for years, but like R was new to me. And then what is it like Python and like the equivalent to R is like Stata. I think that's like things that people study. So I just thought it was interesting because when you go into, at least for me, when I went through school, which was like over a decade ago, is <laughs> criminal justice. It's more of, for, for lack of better terms, I, I can't think of it. Like, it's like more qualitative, I guess. Like I didn't need to take any programming courses. I didn't need to take that many statistics courses. So as a criminal justice major, I feel like I'd be underprepared nowadays because it's becoming so technical. Like I can't, like, should I have, should I have had the foresight to be a double major of like both criminal justice and a computer science major? So it's like, that's a lot. Those are like being a computer scientist, being a programmer, I feel like your brain is just, it's, it's a different approach to things. So I just thought it was interesting because I, I, I don't know, I feel like we're just, it's a big ask for someone to be both a criminal justice major and a computer scientist, but I guess that's the expectation nowadays. I, I don't know how often, because like I said, I'm, I'm I'm limited in my experience. I haven't worked at every agency there is, right? But I'm just trying to think like, when you get hired as a crime analyst, is the expectation all these programming skills? Oh, no. Is that the new expectation? No, I don't think so now. And you, I was laughing there because you talked about it's been 10 years since you've been in college or whatnot. Well, I'm I'm on 25. So, I mean, old man elder is getting up there. But there is obviously something to be said with technical skills. But I think you do just want to show that you can learn software, pick it up and be innovative and do problem solving. Because regardless of what agency you work for, you're eventually going to come across new software that you're going to implement, whether that's a new records management system, whether that's a specific analyst tool, a CAD system, GIS, link charting, there's, you're going to have to learn a new program. And I do recommend SQL and learning coding just because you can fine tune your search and you can dig into the data a little bit better and really start getting the results and answering the questions that you're looking for in the data. Um, So I I think what goes hand in hand with that too is AI, which uh, I said a couple of times on the show that with conferences next year, I think there's going to be an AI session at every conference next year. It's just we're going to be one of those things that when you see when you study these conferences agenda, you get certain things become staples, right? You you're going to a law enforcement analysis training. Now you're going to see Excel. You're going to see GIS. You're going to see open source, social media, maybe something on the dark web and maybe Bitcoin, something like that, definitely like cybersecurity, you're going to see those over and over and over again at these conferences. And I think AI is going to be one of those big staples that we're going to see starting next year and throughout. Do you think that today's crime analysts or like expiring analysts, they need to start being, I don't know what the, I, I don't know anything about the industry, AI scientists or AI analysts, like, 
or do you think agencies will have a dedicated profession for it? Because like I mentioned earlier, if you're a criminal justice major and you're a computer science major, I feel like those are separate motivations. Like if you're gonna go as a computer science major, you maybe you wanna work in like big tech or something like, like I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I feel like there's a that Venn diagram of like criminal justice majors and like computer science major that want to be a crime analyst. Like, I don't know how, big that Venn diagram, like that middle section is. So I wonder if agencies will start having like dedicated, because for example, we have at fusion centers, typically you have your Intel analyst, but you also have like a cybersecurity analyst just because their focuses are different. I'm curious to see if like you were saying a few years from now, decades, who knows if we'll have like dedicated analysts that utilizes AI. So be curious to see. One thing that I would caution people who are getting into AI, because I understand AI can learn much faster than like the human brain and do all these things. But I think people should still be careful on like just relying too much on AI, especially there's always that fear like, oh yeah, it's going to replace me kind of thing. But there's going to still need to be a human aspect to it. And I hope that whoever's listening, whoever, whatever, like take into account, because just like children right or like people our staff like anybody they are a product of like their environment and like what is taught to them so a story I have I think this was back in like 2021 of like the NFL and the NFL had an algorithm to approve or unapprove concussion claims from their athletes and it came out that like black athletes were being less approved by the algorithm because it was coded in the AI and the algorithm that Black people had like less cognitive functions, which was why Black athletes were getting approved less and less than their like their white counterparts. And the lesson there is like, don't blindly trust the system because you don't know who made it. You don't know what went into it. You don't know if it's like coded with like bias and like racism, sexism, all that stuff, right? So that's kind of my fear of like using AI of like, okay, well, how are they for example, sorry, I'm like, my brain is all over the place as usual. For example, agencies, leadership, they like top lists, right? Like where are the top locations? Where are the top crimes? Who are the top people? That's where it's concerned. It's like, how are they, how is the code? How is the algorithm? How is the AI designating that this person is like the top person? Like, I understand obviously like the, their criminal history, their recency and stuff, but like, how does demographics play into it? How does race and all this other stuff play into it? And as an analyst, if you don't understand how AI works or how the system works and you're just blindly trusting it, it's like, oh, what problems could it occur? So I'm curious to see where these AI advances, like how they play out. I'm curious to see, like you were saying, what trainings were going to be given, whether it's like, this is how you use it. This is how you, or if it's just like, oh, here's a story where AI solved a crime, which is great, but I also want to know like all the back end stuff. So I'm curious to see what what trainings we'll be getting moving forward and how it can be incorporated on the job. Well, I think you're going to see it implemented to existing programs, right? You're gonna see AI functionality in some of records management systems or analysis software. That's where you're gonna see it. And it goes into the idea with any of those software programs that you really have to understand what the math is behind the results. We have talked on the show about sometimes analysts just push the buttons 
and they truly don't understand what the results are. So to your point, I think there's always going to be a need for analysts. We've been tinkering with the idea that uh, computers are going to replace analysts for decades and it'll probably continue. Uh, but it, it's not going to be anytime soon, I don't believe. But I do think that you're going to see more AI. I think there's definitely going to be something talked about at conferences. You can do AI on your own, but it's also going to be mixed in with some existing software that you may have at your police departments. Hi there, I'm Amanda Bruner president of the Carolinas Crime Analysis Association, and I'm thrilled to invite you to our upcoming training conference in the historically rich city of Charleston, South Carolina. Join us from February 27th through March 1st for an immersive experience aimed at honing the skills of crime and intelligence analysts in both the public and private sectors. With over 125 attendees expected, it's a prime opportunity to learn and network with other professionals. We are proud to announce that Dr. Rachel Santos, author of Crime Analysis with Crime Mapping, will be our keynote speaker. Plus, don't miss masterclasses hosted by renowned experts like Dr. Eric Pisa, Charlie Giberti, and NW3C. But that's not all. We have a student poster session, proctored IACA exams, and more. And guess what? Your registration includes two full conference days plus the masterclasses. And it's not just about learning. It's about creating lasting memories. So enjoy lunch on us, indulge at our ice cream social, and join in our networking events, including ghost tours. Registration is a steal at $225 for members and $275 for non-members. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Join us for a conference that combines professional development with a touch of Southern charm. I look forward to seeing y'all in Charleston. Register today at carolinascrimeanalysis.org. That's carolinascrimeanalysis.org. So some other things that we accomplished with the podcast this year, we finished up the Osborne tapes with Kathleen Allen. Kathleen did a really good job with that. And it was nice to have that final episode with Kathleen and Debbie to just put a nice bow on that series. And we also finished up Small Steps with Seth Potts, which is a YouTube channel dedicated to uh, quick uh, how-tos in Excel. So both of those finished up this year, and it, I was really proud of both of those products and, and how they turned out. I am too. I'm glad we're moving beyond just being our main show. I mean, our main show is our stable, but it's nice to branch out and try to help people and promote the profession in various ways. So I think people enjoy it. I've only heard good things. So I really like those two projects that we've taken on. Yeah, yeah. And and Paige, uh, she's uh, chin high in her PhD. So that's why she's been MIA for most of this year. But I'm hoping that once things settle down with her, that she'll be back in 2024 with the ACIA New Horizons podcast. One of the th else things we did, we had election coverage with the IACA. So we had VP of administration and it was nice being able to interview all three candidates. And then it was when it ended up having to have a second election to break the tie or what have you, it was nice to jump on with Sean Ramaran, who's the ethics chair and explain 
the process and what everybody needed to do and to finish up the election and get Annie Mitchell, who eventually won the the seat as VP of administration. Yeah, I thought it was a good election cycle. I mean, we made a lot of changes. Hopefully it reached more people. It kind of was a little bump, I guess, to have to do the voting a second time, but I think we got through it pretty pretty well as we can. And it's nice having an election because I think previous years, a lot of a lot of times the incumbents win by acclamation just because there's not a lot of people running. So it's always mm-hmm. nice when there's an election, just like <laughs> just a little competition, I guess, for for lack of better words, make it a bit more interesting. But I I like our board. I like all our candidates. So I, I thought it was a good run. In, in the end, it worked out. And I was proud of the, the podcast for what it was able to contribute to the election process. So that really finishes up our year. And between hitting our three-year mark and last week, we published episode 190. So we are creeping up on 200 and we'll hit our four-year mark as well in 2024. So it was a good year and I'm really excited about what 2024 is going to bring with a whole new batch of analysts to give us their story and their contributions to the analyst profession. I'm curious to see what will be like the theme for this year. Like I've said before, it was like last year, we kind of had like this mental health theme, whether or not it was intentional or not. And then this year we kind of had a lot of people talking about continuing education and transitioning career. So I'm curious to see what kind of stories we get, whether it's more about tech advancements, AI, as you mentioned earlier, I was wondering if <laughs> though we'll have any episodes where guests talk about those kind of technological advancements, I guess, in the industry, for lack of better words. So excited to yeah. see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the other things that we didn't mention earlier in terms of the categories was the real-time crime center aspect. And we had a couple analysts on on the show that work or had worked in real-time crime centers. And I think that's becoming pretty popular based on what Nikki North was describing in, in their first conference with the new association uh, for real-time crime center and holding their first conference there in New Orleans and and having all just a lot of people for a first time conference. And so that that's something that I could see us talking more and more about in 2024. It's nice that there's so many like I, I don't know how to I don't I don't want to say subgroup, but like specialized groups out there. Cause before obviously we have IC, Ialea and all of the investigative groups, whether it's auto theft, human trafficking, drugs, what have you. But nowadays it's having more professional associations that are focused on a certain specialization. So there's the prosecution analyst group, and now there's RTCC. And I'm curious of what other groups are out there for these, I don't want to say niche topics, but like Mm -hmm. these specific focuses and specializations. Like it's not just your general crime analyst anymore. Like we all have specific things that we focus on or specific titles or what have you. So curious to see what other associations are out there that are available for people to join and you know build communities and network yeah 
And another topic that I think we're going to just continue to talk about is education for the analysts. There continues to be a debate in terms of level of education and then types of training, recommended training. And I think that's going to continue as well. And I thought uh, that was a good point in time for you to tell your story about what uh, you had experienced with uh, level of education in your new position. Yeah, and it's not so much just specifically my my new position, but just things I've seen over over time. Hint, hint, plus I'm still in the job, so no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You're going to get me fired, Jason. No, uh, um, a little while ago, I posted a, just, just for some context and some background. So a little while ago, I posted a LinkedIn survey, and the question was, it, it was worded a specific way. I forgot what kind of mindset I was in, but I posed a question, do you need a master's degree for an analyst job. Like I know need is a strong word as opposed to like want and like what have you. And I got 324 responses and 82% of them said, no, you don't need a master's degree, which I agree. I think there's a lot of great analysts that don't have time or finances or whatever you for a graduate degree. And they're still a very fine analyst. They're subject matter experts are doing presentations, training, all that good stuff. But for someone who is starting off when you don't have experience yet, when you have your BA, is that enough? Because when you're looking at these job postings, like most of them say required BA or sometimes they don't just. And then for a graduate degree, it's mostly like preferences, right? Very rare do I, that do I see where it's actually required. Yet, for lack of better words, behind the scenes, like I've talked to students, I've had some experiences myself too, where I've been informed that like, yeah, we only needed a bachelor's, but if it's like super competitive, only those with graduate degrees were considered. And I'm just trying to think in my head, like, obviously, I don't know the full story. I'm not the one who narrowed it down, but I'm like, okay, but did you also narrow it down based on experience? Because just because someone has a graduate degree doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Like, at the end of the day, it could just be a piece of paper, like whether or not they paid attention or not. Like, we don't know all those details, right? So it's like, wait, so you only are asking for a BA, but you basically didn't consider anybody short of an MA or MS. So it's like, I, I just... It's such a weird thing, especially, again, shameless plug for my course, for my <laughs> career preparation course. It's just, how do I prepare students nowadays to be competitive in this market when there's so much, I don't know if like division is the right word, but it's like contradicting advices, I guess, because you can study all these things, but if your agency doesn't have it, then it's like, do you lose it? Do you lose that skill because you're not able to utilize it every day or are students also being taught of like, okay, this is how you implement it at an agency that's never had it before. Like an agency's never had anybody come in and use like Python or R, SQL, whatever to, to query and do all these things with the data. Like, does this, is this student prepared to take on that trailblazing role kind of thing? So it's, it's a lot. I don't know. Like education, like I, I encourage it. I'm a big supporter, big promoter of like, personal development, professional development. But I just think like nowadays, like we're expecting so much of incoming and aspiring analysts that it's hard to tell them, be like, okay, yeah, before you even get the job, 
like spend all your time and money getting this certification, getting this training, getting this, this, and this. And I just, I'm at a standstill where I'm like, I don't know if that's like the right approach. The answer is no, you don't need a master's degree. That's the answer. But that doesn't mean that a master's degree doesn't have value, right? As you mentioned, employers, hiring managers, see that and put value on that. But that doesn't mean it's required. There's going to be positions out there that are not as competitive, that are may not have every candidate having a master's degree. And so I think it's there's no straightforward answer to the question, right? A return on investment. It's it's not straightforward. There's no special recipe that I can tell any person that you do a b and c and then you're going to get this job there's so many avenues to get to become an analyst that i there's just not anything to say that you should be doing this you shouldn't be doing this one of the things i thought about with your class is my my son's a freshman in high school and we are showing him college applications just so he can understand in three years, you're going to have to start filling these out and things that you may have deficiencies in, you have three years to fix them. So I think that would be something, especially for college students looking to get into the field, just really start looking at these applications and what they're asking for and see where your deficiencies are and where you be, can become well-rounded and become value. I mean, that's what, you, at the end of the day, you got to convince them that you're the most valuable candidate in the pool. And there's hundreds of ways to do that. So if it was easy and if it was straightforward and there was a recipe, everybody would be following it. That's, but that's why you have this debate. That's why you have maybe competing theories or contradicting theories is, is because there's no one answer. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting debates is like, what are you supposed to learn in school? And then what are you supposed to learn on the job? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've heard both sides of like, those who are in academia, they think this way, those who are pr pr practitioners, but they also teach in academia, they think one way. And then there's practitioners that never taught in the either there's different categories, I guess, <laughs> that people can fall into. And I, I don't know, wherever this debate lands, I feel like these students and aspiring analysts are like, sometimes like they're going to lose out in some scenarios because I've heard it's like, well, they should have learned this in school while others are saying, nope, they should learn on the job. Or it's like, no, they need to learn it on themselves. They need some like self-initiating, like alpha personality that that's what we're looking for anyways. Right. And it's like, to some extent, I agree. Like, I agree that people should be like you were mentioning earlier, promoting yourself and finding trainings for yourself, taking that initiative. But I guess <laughs> I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm inserting myself too much into this conversation and this debate because I'm always thinking about, okay, what about like the more reserved kids? I say kids, but reserved young adults, <laughs> students who are entering this profession and like they went to school so they can learn yet sometimes they're just kind of being thrown out into the wolves and expected to fend for themselves, which I get it. To some extent, that's just how it's built, right? Because we want the fittest, we want the strongest, we want the survival, sure. But it's like, we're also kind of limiting our pool. I'm sure there's a lot of people who could have been great analysts, have all that, but they're not 
given the proper support to really thrive. And it's just like, okay, not all of us are just naturally prepared for this job. Like, this is why we go to school. This is why we're looking for mentors. This is why we're looking for teachers. Yet Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know, I like, it's a bigger debate. It's a bigger discussion. I don't want to like hijack our episode for today, but. What you're really getting at is the difference between education and training. The universities and colleges are there to give folks an education. They're not there to teach you how to do a job. And the same, when you talk about training, that is actually teaching you skill sets to do a certain task. So while I would like to see more of an association between universities and police departments, the universities are are doing their own thing. Right. Like they do want to work and they do want their students to go on to get hired, but they're building education standards. They're building a certain level of knowledge and that's what they're selling. Whereas you get to some of this training for the crime analysis or the skills in crime analysis, that's specific to that job. You might hear the terms education and training, but, and they, there might be some overlap there, but there's also vast differences between those two concepts. That's a really good way of putting it. I, I actually didn't consider that. I, that is true. I guess that leads into the, the question, the follow-up question is that should, as an aspiring analyst, not pursue a degree starting off, but just pursue like a certificate, pro- like a vocational program to understand how to do the job. And once they're studying the job, go back, get there. Like I said, I'm big promoter of like continuing education. I, 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 <laughs> I teach courses and all that stuff. So like, you know, I'm a big supporter of like bettering yourself and so forth. But mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of like the climate or like the market these days for education, for work and stuff. And probably notice like cost of education has gone up so much that it's almost for lack of better words gatekeeping of who can get their degree who can get into this field and like you I know people who started out whether in dispatch or records and stuff and just worked their way up towards an analyst who's just like analysts who've been working in the decades in the field for decades are teaching are passing on the knowledge and stuff and who never got their degree so it's, it's yeah. not to say that you need it to like be successful on the job, but like I said, with for students nowadays who are trying to enter such a competitive, I, I don't know if it's saturated or not, but such a competitive market, like is it something that they need, what, like collecting all these degrees and certificates and all this stuff before they even get on the job? So it's like, what is the advice? Some people say yes, some people say no. So it's like, where, as a student, like, okay, well, which is it? Kind of yeah. stuck in the middle of this debate. Yeah, well, I, I think I've mentioned, I, I did something that I would not recommend people do. And even my advisors didn't recommend me to do it at the time. I went to school until I found a job. Now, I was able to still do that and keep my student loans at bay, right? I I went to undergrad, didn't find a job, went to get a computer certificate, couldn't find a job, then went to a master's degree and interned and then found a job. So I had I have three different degrees. And when I left each one of them, I was only a couple of thousand dollars in in debt. And I was able to pay it off as I as I went through. So to do that today is is really difficult to do. So I wouldn't recommend that. I don't think you should be going through and collecting certificates before you get the position. If you're in undergrad and you want to be an analyst, you get the degree and then you do your best to 
rubbing elbows with people in police departments, whether that's volunteering, whether that's interning, whether that's just being being president like public events, trying to get to know people and to be a student of crime, really. I mean, one of the things I've told us, talked about on the podcast is as, as I've been doing this podcast, I realized that, you know what, when I was an analyst, I wasn't necessarily a good student of crime. I liked building databases. I like dealing with data, but I wasn't necessarily that, that really good student in crime that it would just would be tenacious and just learn everything I could about one particular case that I was working on. But you hear people on the show talk about that, like they just got obsessed with knowing as much as they could. And it wasn't just about data. It was talking with people. It was it was going on right alongs. So it was talking uh, with uh, experts in, in certain matters. So again, it's not just one thing. So it's not just like, oh, go learn SQL or go uh, get a master's degree. It's a whole gamut of stuff that will allow you, the, the more that you're doing all the things that I described there, I think increase your chances of uh, being hired on as an analyst. So I, I'm curious, I wanted to do kind of like, for lack of better words, a thought exercise with you. I was curious about your thoughts because all of this, we've been talking to the student, we've been talking to the aspiring analysts, but what about the hiring managers? And so what about the agencies? Because I feel like they play a role in this dynamic as well. So I was saying how like we're so, De, de, for lack of a better word, demanding of like students and inspiring analysts these days. Oh, you have to have your degree. You should have the certificate. You should know ArcGIS or mapping. You should know coding. You should know SQL. You should know public speaking. You should, should you should know how to do presentations and data. Like you should know this, 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 like just a laundry list of things, right? And to some extent, I understand that like a job bulletin is kind of like their wish list. So if, even if you have only half of it, still apply. You never know what happened kind of thing, right? But we're saying that in hindsight, after a decade, two decades, or whatever, years of experience of like doing this over and over, we learned that. But I'm just trying to think of like a, a person who, a student who just graduated or somebody who's just aspiring to be an analyst and looking at all these job bulletins and like getting discouraged of like, well, I don't meet, I only meet half of this. Should I even apply? So do you think job bulletins, they're just asking too much and being unreasonable and setting up like this? standard that is like unrealistic i i think just like anything else there are good examples and there are bad examples there are job bulletins out there that are well written are very specific in what they want and they uh, will produce the right candidates for the job i think there's other ones that aren't written as well and People can read them. I'm like, you're asking all this stuff and you prefer a master's degree and you want to pay this person $35,000 a year. That, that's what you want to do. And so to answer your question, it's not just like, oh, is the expectations too high. There's just some really bad ones written, I feel, that seem to be wanting everything in the kitchen sink. And it's just not something that uh, they're probably not going to to get what I think would be interesting 
is interviewing people that have just gone through the hiring process, especially if they went through and hired like 10 analysts. Like, why did you pick the 10 analysts that you did? What were the skill sets that you valued? What stood out on these resumes? What did you uh, maybe not hold as valuable? Uh, and talk to them and then ask these the same kind of questions based on what you at were anticipating when you first put out the job announcement to the actual hiring did what what changed if anything right did you think you were going to get this analyst a and you ended up with analyst c right and so there's i i think there is a research project in there interviewing hiring managers in law enforcement analysis you bring up a, a good point about the pay disparity I, i'm not sure if that's like the right word but yeah i've seen postings like that where they ask like a full list of things and offer like below average just i don't know why i don't know what the thought process i don't know are they just thinking they're just getting someone entry level temporary stepping stone person it's like well you're kind of setting yourself up for that because of how low you pay but i've seen it on the back end and i've personally experienced it myself where I think I told you, oh my gosh, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I think I said this on one of our episodes too, where I was like, I think I did everything by the book. Like, of course, doing it and talking about it in hindsight is different than actually during the moment. But I was like, I think I did everything I could to like make a good argument for like pay negotiation. And it just didn't go through because I was told like, oh, sorry, we can't. It's just against policy or everybody starts at the bottom. Doesn't matter wherever you're degree or your education or experience lie. So I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing that I just didn't know it was a thing. I don't know if that's like common knowledge for people to know, or maybe it was just me and my agencies, but I've seen it happen to other people as well. When I'm on the other side of the table, I was like, oh, okay, we only asked for a bachelor's and this person has a master's. So we're, we pay them more, right? And they're like, nope, they all start at the same. And it's like, okay, then what is the purpose of having more than the minimum then like what is the benefit to it if it's not like I, I i get it it's like do it for the passion do it for the but it's like okay but i also invested all my time and money into this mm -hmm. and it'd be nice to be properly compensated for it right like i have more than i have doubled the experience you're asking for i have doubled the degrees you're asking for so why am i still at the bottom of the barrel so i think that's an interesting dynamic or culture power difference whatever you want to call it and I don't know if that's agency dependent, if it's not the same across the board, but that was something interesting I learned as an applicant of like, oh, I can have the strongest resume, application portfolio, whatever. But when it comes down to like the pay, it could maybe not matter. So I don't know if that's another argument for <laughs> people not getting their graduate degree right away when they're first applying around for jobs. But that's something I've seen. Let's move on to a different topic. I, I do want to talk next about one of the things that uh, we try to do on the show is promote the profession. Some folks are better at self-promotion and getting out there and talking, marketing themselves better than others. And then there's marketing the person and then there's marketing the profession. And I, I feel that we've done, a obviously we've done a good job of having good candidates on the show and doing our best 
to promote not only the profession, but the association and just anybody that wants to be involved in law enforcement analysis. But I also think because it's law enforcement and sometimes you get into the intelligence side and you get into uh, maybe some situations or roles in which maybe it's better that you keep a lower profile. Not not everybody's willing to come on the show and talk about who they are. And the, some of it is a little bit of maybe some introvertedness and maybe some shyness, but our goal is is still a valid one. And I still think there's a lot that we as analysts can do to promote the profession. And I think there's benefits from promoting the profession, having people get an understanding of what an analyst does and the achievements and their contribution to the police department goals. So I got to the point earlier this year where I was actually just starting to run out of guests. I do my best to meet people at conferences and do my best to meet people online and through social media. But I just got to the point where I was just kind of grinding through, just finding people and, and getting them on. I thought there had to be a better way. And so one of the things I did is post on LinkedIn, like, hey, if if you're interested, would you come, instead of waiting for me to come talk to you and ask you, reach out to me and and we'll get you on the show or at least maybe recommend somebody else to be on the show the responses were were great i i did get a lot of people reaching out recommending or even suggesting saying hey yeah i'll, I'll be on the show or did you have you interviewed this person and and a lot of people shared that post and it's actually of all my postings in LinkedIn, it's actually one of the ones that, with the highest impressions in LinkedIn. So I do want to thank everybody who participated in that and I'm really excited to just go through all those lists of people now in 2024. Yeah, no, thank you everybody again for participating and especially those who have agreed to come on our show and especially as Jason mentioned earlier, like we're approaching our 200 episodes soon in 2024. <laughs> so looking forward to whoever gets, gets that <laughs> honor. Would we reach 250 this year? If No. Okay. I was going to say, how many special episodes and all that stuff are we going to do? So oh. I was like, oh, probably not, not going to reach, well, we'll reach 250 soon after the new year of 2025. So that's another one to look, look forward to. Oh, the, that's a good distinction there. So when we're talking 200, that's 200 with analyst talk podcast in terms of all the podcasts we've ever published on the channel it's well over 200 because the special ones that i've talked about in terms of either the conference re preview and review the election coverage the a training one you did yeah Sean, <laughs> well yeah the training one that i just did with kyle and even sean bear's guide to hiring a law enforcement analyst that all of those don't fit into the 200. So the, all of those are outside the analyst talk podcast. But but speaking of that's a, we talked about education and training and we didn't plug that 
Sean Bear's guide. That is something that is going to be three years old, but I still think it has a lot of value. There's a lot of good advice in there. So we'll leave a link to that series in the show notes. All right, Mindy. Hey, well, when you and I get together, we can talk and talk and talk. So great conversation. Really appreciate your perspective. And of course, everything that you do for not only our podcast, but everything that you do with the IACA and and what you do for the profession in terms of teaching. So thank you so much. I like to give my guests the last words. So what what do you have as a last word for this episode in this calendar year of 2023? Thanks, Jason. Yeah, I initially I wanted to do something more <laughs> basic and generic and because I'm just a boring person, but (laughs) (laughs) just our conversation today kind of brings me back to my episode. I'm not trying to do a shameless plug, but I'm just trying to think of like my words to the world then, which was episode 29. (laughs) We're approaching (laughs) 200. And I remember saying for the listeners to give themselves grace and like give themselves time to learn things. Like everybody that you hear on the podcast, like it took them years to get to where they are today. It take It's taken me years. Like the person who I was over 10 years ago when I first started is not the same person I am. Thank, thank goodness, right? Like I, we all wanna grow and be better, right? So just when you are not picking up R or SQL, when you're not picking up ArcGIS, just know that you're starting off, you're learning. It's a, These are big topics, like give yourself time to learn and give, give yourself grace, especially after any rejections or any feelings of imposter syndrome or failure, like it'll be okay, like you'll get to your goal. So that was going to be my final words. And of course, Merry Christmas again, Happy New Year. Thank you guys. Happy holidays, all that good stuff. And thank you again for supporting us for all, all these years. I, I Like I said, I know it's like typical for me to say like, oh, another year kind of thing. Oh, I wonder where we're going. So I, I don't want to do that again. But yeah, I'm so excited to enter in the fourth, fifth, however many years this goes on. And so happy that it positively, hopefully impacted so many people's views on the profession. So yeah, thank you guys for all your support. Yeah, we have definitely given them just enough to talk bad about us later. Badly. So, badly. <laughs> you always correct me. But so Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, be safe out there, and here's to a great 2024. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, Analyst, keep talking. Okay, another year, (laughs) another episode done. So I don't know. What do you want to do after this, Jason? Oh, no. I I do wish that somebody would uh, figure out this Easter egg, though. Are you still talking about the Easter egg thing? Like, it's been so long. I like, at this point, I don't even know if people know what, like, an Easter egg is. Like, well, say, say, and that's what was surprising to me, too, because I just assumed that everybody knew what the Easter egg concept was. But some people did ask me about it. And so I always point to, like, the Pixar movies. In most, or I, if not all the Pixar movies, 
you will see a reference to A113. And what that serves is that's the classroom number for many Pixar employees who studied at California Institute of the Arts. So all through the movies, you'll just see either like license plates or rooms or signs with A113. And that's the Easter egg. So in the book, in the chapter for Excel, there's obviously something that I that I put in there that means something else. And I just can't, I mean, without telling people what it is, I it's driving me a little bit nuts. As I said, like, if you didn't fully understand what it means, it's one thing. But you should at least be able to identify that it's an Easter egg. Maybe you don't understand fully what it means. And part of me thinks, like, yeah, it's really, really hard. But at the same time, we're analysts. We're supposed to be problem solvers. We're supposed to solve this puzzle type of thing. And so I think you should be able to figure it out. So I don't know. But but this uh, next book is coming up, so I really want to try to get this taken care of before we have a, a whole other book. And then the third version of this book is no longer the book that everybody is reading. I just think it's interesting. Like, I mean, you told me the answer and I just like stared at it and I'm like, I don't know if I would even have been able to guess that but I was like I would at least ask the question because like as some certain things do look weird so like and we talked about this before where it's like what kind of hints can you give that isn't like too easy and like too obvious but at the same time like just to help nudge because this has been going on it's almost like <laughs> a running joke now that it's been going on so long I kind of don't want it to get solved and just see how long <laughs> it can go on so I mean yeah we'll we'll see I mean I I'm not sure with it, as I mentioned, I just really hope that this gets solved. But anyway, 